Hello and welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Podcast. This evening we're talking all things ethics and I'm joined not by my usual co-host Dave but by my good friend and colleague Amy Forrest. Good evening Amy. Good evening everybody, thank you for having me along Ben. Amy it's been a while since we've had you co-host the podcast with us. How has life been for you? What's been going on in your world? Mm, yeah, really, really busy. Thank you. I think the last time I came on, I was actually on maternity leave and I, I came on the podcast to come and say hello and um, fill in. I think it was for Dave and that was lovely to come along. So it's been busy. It's been a good six months. Now, this week is one of the busiest times we have in accountancy training. Next week, there are lots of ACCA and ICAW exams. So best of luck to all our students that are sitting next week. Um, yeah, it feels like we are really, really at the, the pressure end of the year. We've got lots of exams. We've also got lots of AAT students that have got exams coming up, trying to squeeze in those exam slots before Christmas. And I know you've been on a bit of a campaign this week, Amy, to really encourage our students to do their mock exams. Yes, absolutely. As tutors, I think I think students get a bit fed up of us saying it, actually. But we say so many times in class how important mock exams are. And there's loads of stuff on the First Intuition Hub where we've looked at stats. And I mean, the stats are there. If you do your mock exams, you're much, much more likely to pass. Um, so we sound like a broken record as tutors encouraging people to do mocks. But it is the best way to prepare for an assessment. Um so, yes, do your mocks, everybody. <laughs> there we go. If you listen to this and you've got a mock deadline looming, Amy's authoritarian voice says, go and get your mocks done. But in all honesty, they really do make a big difference and are one of the reasons why our students time and time again really do the team at FI proud by passing their exams. A lot of that comes back to the hard work and the dedication and mocks are a key part of it. But we're not talking about mocks this evening. We're talking about ethics. Amy, what are ethics in the world of, well, in the world of accounting, but I suppose in the world in general? Oh, well, when, when you invited me along to the podcast and said it's all about ethics, I thought, oh, well, here we go, because I've been a tutor now for kind of nine years. And every single unit we teach pretty much has some form of ethics in it. This is such an important topic for accountants. Um, and I actually really like talking about ethics. I think it can spark some really interesting conversations. And really, when we talk about ethics, it's all about those guiding principles for how we behave. Critically important for us as accountants. Um, so, you know, as accountants, we're really looked at to uphold these ethical behaviours because of the work we get involved in. So ethics is really just our guiding principles, how we're going to do something. Yeah, I, I always think about it as right and wrong and encouraging people to do the right thing in any scenario. And also not just do the right thing, but the, the perception that we as a profession are people that will do the right thing. I think a lot of the ethics is how this looks to the outside world as much as how it can hopefully avoid people doing things that are, are bad for society in general. But why do you think the world of accountancy gets so much potential scrutiny from the wider public? A lot of people don't associate maybe accountants when they join the profession as people that are looked at 
outside of our world. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, actually. And certainly I can recall my days as a student and when I was answering my ethics questions in exams, they were quite formulaic and I was kind of plodding through. And it's kind of over my career where I've seen uh, scandals in the press and come up against things that are challenging ethically that you start to I start to kind of realise the real importance of ethics more and more. Um And obviously, as accountants, we get involved in so many different things. You know, we can be involved in audit or accounts or tax or whatever it is. And a lot of these things are quite public. You know, we say we prepare a set of financial statements for a reason. And one of the big things we say early on in any financial accounting course is we're preparing a set of financial statements to enable people to make decisions. Wow. So we're doing something that people are using to actually make a decision that might be a business decision. It could be a personal decision about should I invest in a company? And so people are looking to us to provide them with quality information that has been prepared ethically. And of course, then as well, that's just financial accounting preparation. We've got the audit aspect as well. Now, in order to ensure that information has been prepared uh, to provide a true and fair view, auditors become involved. And again, they're trying to act ethically to say to the public, I can confirm that these are providing a true and fair view of the company. So again, we're providing the public with with an opinion on whether something's correct or not. And tax, whilst tax might not be public in the sense of knowing what goes into it, there's it's clearly an important part of what we do as accountants. You know, somebody is work, we are working out somebody's tax liability that they are paying to the government. And if we get it wrong, or if it's not done correctly or on time, there are implications for individuals. So really, as accountants, we play quite a key role publicly for the general public because of the information we provide and, you know, for individuals and the government. So it's quite a responsible role. And so I think because of that, because of those responsibilities, we need these guiding principles to say, this is how, if if we're in this very responsible role where people look to us, they want to see that we're acting ethically and we're acting appropriately. As you said, Ben, we're showing the right behaviour. Fantastic. What are those principles then that people would look to and say that is the right behaviour? So whilst it sounds like a lot to say, oh, there's a lot of responsibility, Actually, the ethics are there to just say, yeah, there is responsibility. But if you behave in this way, you'll be seen to be doing the right thing. It reminds me of the episode we did a couple of weeks back where David got some stats on the amount of money the UK government raised from tax. And actually, if accountants are facilitating people to avoid tax or evade tax, that is not seen as an ethical um, treatment for the the general population if that means we go without a school or we have to effectively reduce services at a hospital because people aren't paying the correct amount of tax there are wider public connotations i usually open up this discussion in class thinking about what makes us a professional we talk about the accounting world being a profession and i always think of that meaning that we've got higher levels of skills Students listening to this will be going through some really technically challenging exams to demonstrate they have got higher level technical skills. And once we've got those, it comes with the responsibility then of using those skills for the the benefit of people that are paying for our services. 
So I think ethics underpins professionalism. And that could be as relevant for accountants. And we're going to go on to talk about some of the ethical principles for accountants this evening. But it's no different to maybe a, a doctor who is a profession. And he or she is a doctor using those higher level medical skills for the benefit of their their patients. Something I get asked a lot, though, Amy, is, well, surely we've got laws in the UK to protect people. Why don't we think the laws on their own are enough? Why do we need to go further as a profession with our ethics? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, the same question gets asked when we talk about how to prepare a set of accounts, because really, when we think about how to behave, which is a very subjective area, it's quite hard to put a rule in about behaviour. When we talk about these ethics and how to prepare sets of accounts and so on, there's often two schools of thought about how you could go could, could go down this route. You could think about things as a rules-based framework, which is very much this is an amount that you're not allowed to accept a gift over, or you must or must not do this particular thing. Um, whereas a principles-based approach sets out some guiding principles which are more flexible to various situations. So whilst we do have the law that sets out legal requirements, you know, we have Companies Act, we have International Accounts Act, we have all of these things, ethics lay on top of that. And there's often that phrase in there, the law is the floor. The law is the bare minimum you have to comply with. Ethics takes it that next step to that next step. And ethics often takes that principles-based approach. It's very hard to put a rule in to cover all all situations. And we can come up with, I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of ethical scenarios that we could come up with. But if there's a rule, it's not going to catch them all. And by having this principle, it allows us to use our um, professional judgment as accountants, which we are paid to use, which we are you know, required to use as accountants to use our judgment for, is this right or not? So the law's the minimum. Ethics adds another layer to hold us accountable to the general public and to hold us accountable as a professional. So you've talked a couple of times already about the principles. We're going to have a look at some of those principles now. And, and I think actually they are quite simple terms but they've got a very big reach. I think the, the profession has done a good job in saying there are five principles that should be relatively easy for an accountancy student or a qualified member to remember. But those five actually cover, as you say, a very big umbrella of potential scenarios. And the really good news is, Amy, you've taught lots of different professional accounting qualifications I would imagine you're going to turn around and say, but it's always the same five principles, whether you're an AAT student or a SEMA, an ACCA or an ICAW member, the five principles are the same. Why do you think that's important? It is important. It's important for so many reasons. Firstly, our professional bodies are all signed up to the International Federation of Accountants. So they're all governed by a body themselves. And it's that body, that higher body, um, that sets these ethical principles. But it's important that they all gained consensus and they all adopt this ethical code, because from an external point of view, an accountant is an accountant. 
No, it doesn't. You know, they might come along and say, you know, when we're looking for jobs, they might ask us, are you ACCA or ICAW or SEMA or whatever it is. But if we've produced a tax return for somebody, let's say, if we say we're an accountant and we're competent to do this, they're going to take our word for it. Um, so because our professional bodies allow us to work in a lot of different careers, a lot of different roles, because people will see an accountant as an accountant, it's important we're all bound by the same ethical code because we're all upholding the accounting profession. I think that's exactly right. It would be quite a daft scenario if you can visualise you working alongside a colleague and just because you're a member of a different body to them, you could do something that they would say, I would not be allowed to do that or vice versa. It really mm -hmm. does add clarity, consistency and something that unites us all. Whatever, whatever code you are studying for, this is something that binds us all together in the profession. Mm -hmm. Shall we jump in and have a look at them maybe one by one this evening? Um we don't have to do them in any particular order. So I'm just going to pick one at random. Shall we start with integrity? So one of our five ethical principles, as I say, set by IFAC is integrity. Amy, what does integrity mean to you? Integrity really just comes down to being honest, being honest and straightforward in everything you do as an accountant. You know, it's quite easy to merge integrity with one of the other ones about kind of being lack of bias, but we'll come on to that with objectivity. So integrity is that honesty, that transparency, being straightforward in everything you're doing in any business transaction or business relationship that you're entering into. So, yeah, integrity, it kind of is quite a big umbrella term, actually. But we see quite a few scandals, a few students being pulled up, for lack of integrity um, in uh, accounting magazines and so on. Yeah, I always think about it being straightforward, not covering stuff up, not concealing, and really summing it up in the words you've already used tonight, being honest. And something that we particularly look out for, Amy, is instances of students that have been caught by the professional bodies if they are perceived to be cheating or maybe getting unfair advantages in their exams. Mm -hmm. What sorts of, of things have, have you seen more recently in the, the press around this? Yeah, you're right. It's it, a, a big way that this could affect students is um, having integrity when sitting assessments. And there was a really interesting news article recently where some students of an accounting professional body were called out by their employer for cheating on an internal, more HR-based assessment. So it wasn't an accounting exam. This was some, something like your health and safety or your data protection and so on and so forth. And we actually had a discussion about this in the office as tutors because we thought this was really interesting, a really interesting application of integrity that the professional bodies are saying integrity isn't just your accounting exams. It's anything you have to do in the line of being an accountant. And that's important to remember. Um, um, so, yeah, we it's something to bear in mind. It's the cheating in the exams or the sharing of assessment answers and so on and so forth. So it might seem like we're doing our colleagues a favour by sharing this information. But actually, we need to make sure we're acting with integrity. Yeah, making sure that we are not deliberately misleading people. 
Um, the other area I can see it more commonly for students is maybe when you are applying for jobs, mm -hmm. if you're actually misleading people in your capability, you're misleading people in your abilities, you are deliberately putting things out there that you're not. Be very mindful of even calling yourself a qualified accountant. If you haven't passed all of the exams and got your membership certificate, you are not qualified. You shouldn't be using the letters AAT or ACCA after your names. And all of those would be a potential integrity issue. You are not being honest with, with people that you are, are dealing with. I think you're right, though, Amy, when I see this come up in exam scenarios, integrity is usually one that goes hand in hand with another one. Integrity tends to be more to do with the action, but then one of the other ones links into it that effectively explains how the person's got into that scenario in the first place. Let's move on and talk about another one. We've got five to get through. So we've done integrity. Number one, we've ticked that one off our list. Shall we talk next about confidentiality? I think this one, probably more than any other, people outside of the profession are more aware of the term confidentiality. But it does still surprise me, even in, in meetings sometimes, I'm, I'm a school governor, for example, how I've had to remind people of just being mindful of the information that they've got access to. So how would you normally explain confidentiality to a, a student? Yeah, confidentiality, it, it, you know, it's a word we all know about. And I think it's an important one because, as I said earlier, we have a, you know, part of our role as accountants is to prepare people's tax returns, to prepare a set of accounts, to undertake an audit. To do these jobs, we have access to necessarily so a lot of private information that should not be made public and that's really important that we have access to that so that we can do our job properly but companies are trusting us that they don't want their personal internal information released so for example in audit we would often look towards maybe people's internal cash flows or board minutes or whatever it is internally to that company that they're not required to publicly file but we might need to look at it for evidence Similarly, for a tax return, that's not public. You know, that's somebody's personal finances. And so there's information there which we shouldn't be sharing um, outside of that relationship. Um, so confidentiality is key. But I think this has become more complex over the years, actually. Certainly from when I started as an accountant, when I started as an accountant, I would say about 70% of the jobs that I worked on in practice were paper-based jobs. And confidentiality at that point meant a lot of put it under lock and key and then don't talk to somebody that you shouldn't. And in an ethical scenario, we were often presented with in exams or um, in uh, ethical training that I undertook at work was, what about if the bank rings up and asks for someone's cash flow? And the whole answer was, well, you've got to go and check with the client and all these kind of things. How has confidentiality changed now with the onset of cloud accounting and emails and portals and all kinds of things? It adds another layer, another spin, but such an important one. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking about the paper files, I was thinking back to when I first started and the amount of shredding we had to do, disposing of confidential waste. You couldn't just throw away an accounts file or a tax return into the, the usual bin 
because that would go off somewhere and that information could be accessed by somebody else. I suppose the the common day equivalent to that would be disposal of laptops. I know we, we've got quite a few computers locked away in a cupboard not too far from me, Amy, that you know what I'm talking about because you work in the Cambridge office as well. And those laptops, we can't just throw away we actually have to have our it provider come in and formally destroy all of the information on them mm. um i've had a, a student live this evening in the chat box talk about gdpr exactly that's the law that underpins data protection in the uk but as accountants we need to go even further than just the minimum gdpr compliance with regards to confidentiality being fully aware of uploading information to portals, making sure that it's the right information for the right business, for the right user. It's it's a potential minefield and something that students need to be incredibly, incredibly careful with. Okay, let's move on to our third one. So, so far we've done integrity, we've done confidentiality, Shall we talk next about objectivity? You did mention it earlier, but what does objectivity mean for a professional accountant, Amy? Objectivity, we often talk about ensuring a lack of bias in what you do, ensuring that you don't just take things at face value, not adjusting the accounts or doing something and taking someone's word for it or because you like them, you're going to do it. You've got to ensure that there's a lack of bias in what we're doing. All of those jobs that we do, like I talked about earlier, preparing a set of accounts, audit what tax, whatever it is, we have to make sure that we have presented it um, without any kind of um self-interest or bias on it and that's really important i think objectivity goes a step further than that though it's not just um doing something with a lack of bias it's actually being seen to do something without bias and that one i think is often quite interesting and this is this whole idea of upholding the accounting profession it's not just we should prepare a set of accounts without bias in it it's that people should look at us and consider that that is the case that we haven't done that so it, it kind of goes a step further and i have heard you know there are lots of scenarios of where somebody may well have been acting with objectivity they may well have not put any bias on it but because of some relationship or some gift that that person has received externally people might think oh hold on because of that gift they haven't done their job properly exactly right i always think i start with objectivity thinking most of the things we deal with involve money and, and what's the old saying amy money is the root of all evil money can corrupt people and influence people's behavior that's where the big self-interest threats come in. If you stand to gain or somebody else stands to gain financially from your work as an accountant, there is the potential for the objectivity to be compromised. But it's so much more than that. Your example of the perception to the outside world. Regular listeners will know to the podcast that I worked in audit practice for 14 years before I joined First Intuition became a tutor. And particularly in the world of regulated audit work, we had to be incredibly aware of 
the ability for clients to be perceived as influencing us. We were meant to be independent, making a decision and an opinion on their financial statements. And in those days, there wasn't maybe as many um, policies. Certainly, we didn't have the Briberies Act in the UK in those days. We've now got some law that really does underpin the potential for being bribed. But I can remember a few examples. One example, and this is a completely innocent one, an audit client knew that me and my wife, Elia, just had our first baby. So Layla, who's now um, 15, but she'd just been born. And the client, I'd worked with that client doing their audit for a few years, thought, wouldn't it be lovely if we sent Ben and Ellie some champagne to celebrate the birth of their daughter? Really nice gesture. Nothing sinister in that at all. So the champagne arrives on our doorstep. And the first thing I do is open the note and realize where it's come from and think, well, that's really, really lovely. But this is now going to be incredibly awkward because I've got to declare that and say it's such a brilliantly kind gesture. But the perception could be to the outside world that you are trying to influence my behavior working on your affairs. I went and had to get it cleared. So most firms of accountants will have an ethics partner or an ethics department. And I had to fully make a declaration to our ethics department. It had to be fully documented on the file. There had to be evidence taken of the, the value of the gift. It was all recorded and I was eventually allowed to accept it. We actually toasted the champagne at Layla's christening. Um, but it just goes to show how something that was an innocent gesture, the worst thing I could have done and the worst thing any listener can do is effectively just accept the gift and cover it up because that automatically looks more sinister. It looks like you've got something to hide. I would imagine most employers and certain any regulated practice firms will have quite disciplined processes around declaring gifts or hospitality i think you raised a really interesting point i'm so glad that got cleared through the processes ben and you were eventually able to enjoy it and there will probably be some people listening to the podcast going that's a lot of work isn't it yeah it is and i think the point that i kind of took from that is we talked earlier about how ethics you use your professional judgment it's um it's a judgment-based thing Actually, a lot of firms and companies will have their own internal processes that you have to follow. So a real encouragement when you first start a job, you're often asked to go and read a company's rule book on things like uh, gifts and uh, relationships with clients or whoever it is. It's really important to make sure you read that because it will tell you exactly the processes to follow, the value of gifts you need to declare, all of those kind of things. So whilst it is a judgment-based thing in ethics, often companies will put in their own rules to give you that guidance, to give you that um, th those uh, those kind of um, uh, rules, I suppose, for what you should do in these situations. And making sure things are fully documented, evidence is kept at the time not stored in your brain because over time things get slightly clouded and it's much better to have evidence a file note something that you've shared with other people at the time mm. okay that's objectivity let's move on we've got two to go both of them beginning with the word professional but we'll start with professional competence and due care 
And actually, although that's one of five, I personally think there's kind of two elements and almost break that one down in class, Amy. Yes, I always do as well, because I think they're they're quite different. One, for me, professional competence, for me, means do you have the technical ability to do something? So, for example, at this point, I often then have to admit that my tax knowledge is not really that good. I'm not a tax specialist. I'm a financial reporting specialist. Ask me an IFRS question and I'm in my element. Ask me a tax question. And unless you want the rules from 10 years ago, I have to say, no, I can't do that. I am not professionally competent to undertake a tax return or provide tax advice. So I don't have the professional competence in that area. And so professional competence is all about, do you have the technical knowledge? Do Are you technically competent to do something? Whereas I often think about professional due care as, do you have the time and the resources to give the job the care that it needs? So for example, let's say I was competent at tax. Let's say I was. If somebody came along to me and said, could you please file my tax return by 7pm tonight? Well, it's 20 to 7 podcast listeners at the moment. I'd have to say, I can't do that. I can't do a tax return in 20 minutes. I don't have the time to do it. If somebody came to me and I felt I had tax knowledge and said, could you file this and you've got a month to do it? I'd assess the job and I'd be able to give them a more reasonable answer and I'd hope I'd be able to say yes. So professional competence for me is, are you technically able to do it? Professional due care is, do you have the time and resources to be able to do it? And you opened up a good point when we were having a chat before we came live on air about modern technology and the use of computers maybe taking away some of the technical knowledge from accountants Mm. what do we think on that in an ethical stance with regards to maybe trainees now haven't had the practical experience of doing some of the tasks that previously people would have done yeah I think it's an important point actually I think technology has enabled us to do a lot more kind of automatically or a lot more using computer supported systems which is fantastic I bet you that I could go and find a piece of software that could do a tax return for me okay so now I might be thinking well of course I've got professional competence because I've got this piece of software that is going to do this tax return for me it still doesn't mean that it will be right. Do I know what's gone into it? Do I know the figures that have to go into the computer system? Do I know how the system is set up and what checks and balances it's going to put on the information I've put into it? And do I know how to check the output of it? I.e., for me, the the introduction of technology and the evolution of this, you know, stuff that really does help us as accountants. I'm not saying it's not helpful, but the introduction of all this technology has given another flavour to professional competence that means, do you know how to do it? But also, do you know how to check that the system is doing it correctly? So I think it adds another layer. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, are we going to see disciplinary procedures with regards to accountants not updating their software? Maybe that could be something that is Mm. professional competence. If you know the software you're using is out of date and maybe it's therefore got the wrong tax legislation linked to it, that I think would be covered by professional competence these days. I also think there's a specific point for students in this one, bearing in mind as a student, you are still training. 
you are still gaining experience. And I know what that was like in my early career. I wanted to please people. Maybe it was part of the show off in me, Amy. I don't know. But I wanted people to say, oh, isn't Ben great? Because he can do all of this brilliant stuff. And that potentially leads you down a road to saying you have got more skills than actually you've you've necessarily got the experience to back up. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really true. And, and you're right. You're really trying to show that you can do a lot of stuff when you start your career. You want to really apply yourself. And that's fantastic. It's brilliant. You know, not don't say that you'll attempt stuff. But I suppose another part of the professional competence is are there the checks and balances in place? So when I worked in accounting, yes, I'd, I'd go and attempt a VAT return. I'd never done it before, but I'd give it a go. But there'd also always be a senior reviewing it or a manager, and they'd be checking and then providing me advice on my professional competence. So do you have the checks and balances in place as well? So if you are going to give something, go be that people pleaser. Is it going to be reviewed? Is it going to be checked? And the thing I love about professional competence is, it doesn't just stop when you're qualified, does it? We go on continued professional development. We've got this term that's used a lot in the industry now around lifelong learning and accountants, probably as much as any other profession, need to continually stay on top of updating laws, updating financial reporting standards, updating business issues, updating IT and software issues. That one will continue forever, I am sure. Absolutely. It absolutely will. You know, professional bodies quite hot on this as well. The ICAW is obviously looking at their how people do CPD to make sure it's modernised and up to date. And that's important. CPD is such a big part of it. Um, and it's important. It might feel like, oh, do I have to fill in another form? Yeah, you do. It's because we're being held to account by the public. We need to show we've still got the skills. And a lot of the time, you naturally pick up a lot of CPD anyway by the nature of what we do. So we're four down, one to go. Let's talk about our fifth ethical principle, the principle of professional behaviour. Mm. Well, if integrity is a bit of a catch-all in terms of be honest, I see professional behaviour as another catch-all as well. Behave in a way that upholds the reputation of the profession. Another catch-all, really. So professional behaviour, don't discredit your accounting body, don't discredit um, being an accountant in general it's the kind of thing where and I always use the example of somebody going to sit an exam somebody goes to sit an exam and exams are tough and we know that and sometimes students come out and they might feel disgruntled something might have been tested in a way that they weren't expecting or something was harder or actually it's just exams there's a lot of stress sometimes and adrenaline that goes into it and I always use the example of don't come out of your exam and go on social media and say well that was absolutely rubbish. I hated that. The exam was um, really too hard. It didn't test the right things and so on and so forth. Because what you've now just done is you've gone on social media and you've discredited your rewarding body. And someone might read that and go, really? That, that professional body's exams aren't very good. Does that mean that accountants that hold that qualification aren't very good then? And all of a sudden, we've not upheld the professional nature of accountancy. So it's really important professional behaviour, but it is a catch-all. Make sure that we behave in a way that we should do as accountants. 
and, and be mindful of anything that links you back to your professional body. Because if you do something personally that reflects badly on you, chances are it will also reflect badly on the AAT, the ACCA or any other professional body that you're a student or a member of. I usually write up 24-7 on the board when I'm teaching this one. And a lot of students look at me a bit like, what? And I think there is a perception initially that professional behaviour is, yeah, while I'm at work, I'm a professional from nine till five. If you work traditional hours, I know lots of people these days don't. But outside of those hours, I can go and do whatever I want. But I can tell you now the institutes would still say you are, in theory, representing our institute. Anything you do is damaging our reputation by association. So if I am convicted, if I am seen as a lawbreaker outside in the real world, that reflects badly. I, I guarantee if I went and did something sinister on the streets of Cambridge tonight, I'm not going to everybody, but it made the headline news of our local paper tomorrow, the Cambridge Evening News. It would say Ben Borman, qualified accountant. It would name my accounting body probably now they are going to be looking at that thinking we are really cross with Ben and that's going to be grounds for an ethical disciplinary on professional behaviour. Yeah, and I think you gave a great example earlier with the champagne for your daughter's birth. That wasn't related to work. That was a personal thing. That was outside of work. You were probably on paternity leave at the time, you know, so it, it seems like it's outside of work, but it's not. It's all part and parcel. I, I see it as such a catch-all professional behaviour. And you're right, it's all the time, isn't it? It's 24-7. And you mentioned social media going on there to potentially have a rant about the exams. I would say anything on social media you need to be really, really mindful of. Um, particularly relevant if you've put in your social media profile that you're an accounting student. Lots of students do that because they're really proud of it. But straight away now, anything that happens in that account is going to be linked back to the professional body that you are studying with. Please, students, be very, very mindful of that. Be very mindful of your online persona, because that is still all tied up in the, the professional behavior ethical requirement. Hmm. Um, we're we're coming near to the end of the podcast this evening, Amy, but um, a few things I wanted to also mention, um, something that comes up quite a bit in the exams, because I think it's particularly relevant to students, are the threats to their ethics. And one that I wanted to talk about this evening was the intimidation threat. Why do we think particularly students are more prone to being intimidated into doing unethical things? Yes, I think it's an important one. And as you say, in um, ethics questions in exams, there's often a link. You'll often be asked to talk about the ethical principle and the threats to that ethical principle. And intimidation can be a threat to a number of our ethical principles, but in particular, integrity and objectivity can be impacted by being intimidated. And as you said, students can be in particular um, threatened here with intimidation. I think there's a few reasons. First of all, 
they students are probably and accountancy can be fairly hierarchical on occasion and in a hierarchy students will often be the juniors in the team there'll be a supervisor there'll be a manager there'll be someone that's been in the business for a lot longer there'll be someone with greater technical knowledge and you often look to those people as the people that should be doing the right thing and so we need to be very very mindful of being intimidated by seniors and senior people and often in exam questions that's the way the number one thing that happens in exam questions is there a there's a trainee accountant and the finance director has told them to make an adjustment that they don't think should go through and you're asked to discuss uh, the impact i think there's also probably another thought here about with intimidation of, as you said earlier, Ben, wanting to be a people pleaser and wanting to get along with people. It might be a first job and so on. And you might just want to not rock the boat. It doesn't matter. It's still important to uphold uh, the integrity and objectivity. So I think intimidation, because you might, might be new to the role, because you might be, um, you might have a supervisor and manager, you know, intimidation can come into it. Yeah, I think it's just the, the position that sometimes students find themselves in. And a lot of that comes down to the culture within the organisation, Amy, doesn't it? That the culture plays quite an important role in embedding these ethical principles day to day. You mentioned something else when we were having our off-air chat with regards to the impact of working from home. Mm. What's your thoughts on how some people working more from home has maybe impacted on our ethical culture? Well, firstly, I think working from home brings, uh, you know, can bring a lot of benefits to individuals and to businesses, but it also brings its challenges. And I think one of those when it comes to being a student or a trainee accountant is you can learn quite a lot by sitting in the same room as somebody. And as I said, ethics is a lot about judgment and using your professional judgment. And maybe there are some areas that are more subjective. And observing somebody else acting ethically and observing somebody else using that subjectivity and professional judgment can come often from being in the office with somebody. You probably wouldn't be sat there and someone goes, oh, come and come and join this meeting. I'm just about to do something ethical, you know, from Zoom or uh, Teams or whatever it is. So I think there's a piece about understanding the culture of a business and the ethical culture of a business and and how things are done. Um, so I think that's a large part of it. Learning from learning from others, actually. Yeah, I think I think working from home has maybe lessened some of that culture. Um, I think it's very important to talk about ethical scenarios, actually, and something we do quite often. You've already mentioned this evening that from time to time, the tutors in the office will have a chat around a particular scenario and talk about the, the ethical implications of it. And increasingly, aside from the exams, where it's very much a student's response, the ICAW, for example, in their training agreement, now gets students to talk about two or three ethical scenarios, and they have to talk about that face-to-face -face with their training manager to have that recorded. And I think there's a lot to be said for actually just talking about ethics and hearing people's views, thoughts, and opinions. I think you're right. You know, you said it earlier when you were giving your example of something you had had firsthand experience of. And the first thing you said was, well, I went and talked to somebody internally. Brilliant. You know, you said you went and talked to the ethics partner, whoever it was, about the situation. And actually, one of my biggest 
bugbears with students in exams. Often uh, a question might be asked in an exam, what should you do in this ethical situation? And a lot of students will then write, I'm going to make a confidential complaint to my professional body's hotline and I'm going to resign from the company. And I go, well, hold on a second. We're several steps away from that. Have you actually had the chat with the manager yet? Has something got lost in translation? They might be asking you to post a journal, which you disagree with, but they might have just got the wrong end of the stick. Have you talked to somebody internally? Have you talked to the partner? You know, have you actually worked through it before going to that more drastic stage, which of course could be an end result. However, there's a lot of stages to go through. And one of those is just talking about it. And like you say, Ben, that working from home gives another angle to things. You've got to make sure you've got that ability to talk to someone internally about ethical situations you may be facing. You have made a good point, though, about the institutes themselves. And yes, it's good to talk about it, but the institutes have got their own ethical helplines. And it is quite important that students know they are there and available. And I appreciate that that some students maybe work in quite a small office department and maybe haven't got the breadth of people to go to and discuss. The institutes are always there. It's one of the things that our membership fees go to fund. You can contact them directly. You can ask them questions. You can get their ethical support, help and advice. Amy, I'm conscious of time. I think we've covered everything I was going to talk about. Thank you so much. That's been a brilliant whistle-stop tour through the, the ethical principles, but really sharing it with some practical experiences or practical scenarios that I think listeners will will resonate with. It is It is a hard world sometimes to navigate, and having those principles, we should get some guidance in what we are doing and what we should do in in any given situation. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the FI podcast with your hosts, Ben and Dave. As always, you can head over to the show notes where you can find the links and resources spoken about in today's episode. Please remember to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode and leave a rating and review.